to have Ken Ross, and I've worked with Ken for many, many years, uh, and uh, so grateful to have him having sharing some of his Lyle life, but his own life uh, with our middle school and high school students. High schoolers are meeting every Sunday night now, and Ken's here with a team of leaders, and uh, middle schoolers are across the way out in the student center right now, and they're connecting with Jesus, and uh, our kids are back in the hallways, and uh, love seeing what's happening in the lives of our families. So thanks for being a part of that, chaplain. Thanks for uh, enjoying Orange-tober with us and uh, thinking about those things together, reminding ourselves, challenging ourselves really uh, together. Now, uh, you don't have to be alive very long at all to discover what I would call the power of a story, right? The power of a story. My, my girls, Lainey and Gracie, are sitting here this morning. It was so fun to get to worship next to them. I Actually, as they were singing, I was like, I was listening to their voices, and I was just so encouraged, and because and, uh, they're beautiful singers like their mom. But what, what, what occurred to me, even as we were singing, is, I mean, I'm hearing my girls sing, and it's moving my heart, and I'm thinking, how is the heart of God being moved as, as we sing together? as a chapel family. And this morning, churches all over our community, churches all over the globe, people from all walks of life, from all nations, uh, worshiping God today and how, how that must make his heart happy, how he must smile upon us. But when I think about the power of story, I'm thinking about like stories that even we, I, I read, Lisa, my wife read to our girls growing up. You remember the, the, the wonderful one, oh, look, at, I'm in Good Night Moon. <laughs> See that? Uh, featuring Todd Nielsen. Uh, Good Night Moon. Who loves Good Night Moon? I mean, like, I don't know that we could go to bed without that song or that, that, that story almost, you know, Every night, or at least multiple times a week, or or the the hungry caterpillar, right? Who didn't love that story? I mean, kids just—I mean, their eyes get big and they just they just listen in. Or green eggs and ham, right? Really, anything by Dr. Seuss, right? If you're a kid and like parents, you loved reading them because secretly you enjoyed it, and then trying to pronounce all the goofy words in them, uh, and your kids were just were just drawn in the power of story, right? And the same thing happens for us as adults, too. I mean, we still love to read the kids' stories, and we're even intrigued as they are. But it might be, maybe for us, it's a, it's, a, it's a novel that you just cannot put down, right? I mean, and you stayed up way too late uh, reading just, just one more chapter. Or, or maybe it's a, a blog post that you cannot get away from. Like, you just keep going back to it again and again because of the story, that it includes, or maybe maybe you were out to dinner, and you just heard somebody in the booth behind you, and they're telling a story, and you just you can't help but eavesdrop and just lean in, right? That's what a good story does. Um, a while back, an article was published called "How Stories Connect and Persuade Us: Unleashing the Brain Power of Narratives." And uh, Melanie Green, a communications professor, she says these words. She says, solid information in any form, facts and charts, etc., is good. But that's not necessarily enough, she says. If you look at the time somebody's beliefs have been changed, it's often because of a story that hits them 
in the heart. The power of a story. And when I think about biblical times, I mean, it was a story-telling world. In fact, the book that we hold in our hands called the Bible is full of stories that for many, many years were never even written down. It was all told in story form from one person to the next, from one community to the next. We as teachers, we know that there's power in story. Like, I mean, we could share the message, but if we don't share the story of our real lives and how, how God's truth is intersecting with that, it may fall flat, but man, people lean in when you say, you know, just the other day, right? See, like you're ready. You're like, oh, well, what, what happened just the other day? The power of story. And, and the, the good news about Jesus is the greatest story ever told. All over the globe, even in places where, where people don't know how to read or write, people hear about Jesus through the power of story. Now, we're in the book of Acts, and we've been following the storyline of the early church, and we're coming to a close, just a couple more weeks left in the book of Acts. Thank you for, thanks for hanging with us, all right? And as, as we come to chapter 26... For the third time in the book of Acts, Luke, who was the author of Acts, shares again the story of Paul, who was Saul, and his conversion. Really, chapter 26 kind of sets us up, and Paul gives us a blueprint for sharing our story. And the way that he kind of lays his story out that is the same way that we can share our story. It's really part of the way that Ken just shared a little bit of his story is through the before, how, and after. And, and what I'm referencing by this is, I mean, before a person really came into a relationship with Jesus, like Ken Rawson, who was just going to church and, you know, checking things out, but somebody, somebody loved on him, somebody welcomed him, somebody made him feel valued, Right? That led to a how moment at some point in Ken's life, how he came to, into a relationship when he put his own faith in Jesus, and then an after story. Like, so then what happened? What was next? How did Jesus change a person's life? And as we jump into chapter 26, we are going to read again and hear the Apostle Paul himself sharing his before, how, and after story. Now, some of you in the room, it, your story is it's, it's far from over. And some of you, your story, it, it, you're stuck in the before, or, or maybe you're in the midst of the how, like I'm, I'm really, really trying to figure out this faith thing. And others of us in the room, our lives have been changed by Christ, and we're living in the after, the next steps of growth in our own Christian walk. But wherever you're at, I think we can relate to the story. And so Paul's going to share his story. And let me, let me set, uh, give a little bit of the setting. Um, Paul has been in prison for two years now, wrongfully accused and really held there uh, when they didn't have the right to hold him there. And th there's two different governors that have come and gone in the midst of Paul's stay in jail from Felix to Festus. And, and, and one of them, he doesn't even know, quite know what to do when he comes onto the scene and Paul 
is his problem now. And so this current governor turns to King Agrippa. And King Agrippa was a wicked, horrible king, and he had a lineage of fathers and grandfathers that were wicked, horrible, cruel people. And so this, this governor turns to King Agrippa to ask his advice for what to do with Paul. And now Paul is before both the current governor and Agrippa. And this is how Acts chapter 26, verse 1 begins. It says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You may now speak in your defense. Paul's on trial. He's being blamed for talking about this Jesus who he says has been resurrected, risen from the, from the dead. The Jewish religious leaders are all in an upheaval because they don't like Paul talking about Jesus and Jesus getting center stage. They haven't bought into the person of Christ or the resurrection yet. And now King Agrippa is, is somewhat intrigued by Paul's story and he says, well, Give us your defense. And, and Paul knew what, first, what Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 3.15, always be prepared. And Paul was prepared. In this moment, as he's literally standing trial, he's prepared. And what is he prepared for? To give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Paul's in prison, and he's on trial, and he's about to share his story. His story of hope. It says, so Paul, gesturing with his hands, uh, started his defense. He said, I'm fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. Verse 3, catch this. For I know that you, King Agrippa, are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. So please listen to me patiently. Now, I don't know for certain what's happening here, but it could be that Paul's just kind of like buttering Agrippa up. Like, I'm so glad that I got to appear before you, judge, magistrate, you know, King Agrippa. You're, I mean, you're, you're an expert. Or maybe he's, maybe he's genuinely building a bridge into King Agrippa's life saying, I do have respect for you. You are an expert. You know all these Jewish dealings and regulations, and laws, and prophecies. Because what Paul is about to do is point the king and point those listening, even the Jewish leaders that had put him on trial, back to their own belief system. He goes on. So this, he begins his before story. All right, this is Paul's before. He says, as the Jewish leaders are well aware I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. Paul begins by telling his before story. He says, listen, here's, here's, here's how I grew up. Here's, here's what I did for school. I went through the strictest Jewish training. And it's these Jewish people that are accusing me. He goes on, from the earliest child my own, among my own people and in Jerusalem. Verse 5, if they would admit it, I love this. If they would admit it, they know <laughs> They know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of this religion. Paul's like, I don't know if they've told you this, King Agrippa. I'm one of them. I grew up with them. I'm an expert in these laws. I was a Pharisee. I'm, I was like in the top-notch religious elite group with them. He goes on, and now... 
I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of all of God's promise made to our ancestors. I love Paul here. He's like, now I'm on trial for believing what everybody else has believed, but they haven't yet believed in the resurrected Christ. He goes on in verse 7, in fact, that's why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day. They share the same hope that I have. He's saying they've been looking all this time for the same thing, the same Messiah, the same Savior that was promised to come into the world. Yet, he says, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. You see what Paul's doing? He's saying, King Agrippa, like, I'm just believing in the fulfillment of everything that everybody has been waiting for and believing. (laughs) He says in verse 8, Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? This is part of Paul's before story. And then he goes into the, and I used to. Anybody got an I used to, like the pre-Jesus me? Like uh, maybe some of you, you're still living in the the pre-Jesus era. Uh, Like I used to. All right, so Paul starts to list, list off. He says, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. He says, indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priests. I caused believers there to be sent to prison. Can any of us say that? Like Paul's saying, this is who I used to be. He's sharing his before story. I was a bad dude, he's saying. I used to have people sent to prison. I cast my vote, he says, against them, and they were condemned to death. Verse 11, many times, he says, I had them punished. Paul's not proud of his past, but he's honest about his past. It's a part of his before story. And you know what? Some of us in this room, we have some sordid before stories, don't we? We have some things in our story that we're not proud of. And this was Paul. He says, many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. This was Paul's before story. I wonder, what's your before story? You know what's interesting? Ken just shared that awesome picture of him as a middle schooler with the mohawk. So Ken and I, we're not that far off in age. I'm a little bit older, I think. Um, I had the same mohawk, except mine just went all to one side. It was called the Tony Hawk haircut. (laughs) It was like this swoop, you know, and and then the hair came down across one eye. And I was a skater punk too. Uh, I remember in eighth grade, I I skateboarded in the the, um, Venetian festival, and I took first place against two other guys. (laughs) Uh, I was a skater. I was a, I was a, uh, a wrestler, and I was, I was kind of like in the season of my life where I was just trying to figure out who I was, just trying to fit in with whoever, wherever, whenever. Be- and, you know, when the Apostle Paul says, I became all things to all men that I might win some to Christ, that was me, except I wasn't trying to win anybody to Jesus. I just wanted to be accepted. I just wanted to be loved, just like Ken did. For many people, that's their before story, just trying to figure out who am I, what, what is life about? What, what's your before story? Some of you, some of you, you're in your before story. You haven't realized how much the God of the universe loves you and cares for you. And yet, 
there's something. You're like King Agrippa who is just kind of intrigued to hear more. And so you're here, or maybe you got friends like that. You're still in the before. But, but, but Paul goes on as he's before King Agrippa, not just to share the before, but then to tell the how. And this is so critical. This was so critical for Paul. I think it's why Luke includes it in the book of Acts three different times. It's, an, it's incredibly important for you and I that when we're sharing our life story with others, that we get to the how. Don't just tell about who we were and how bad I was and all the wrong things I did. But make sure that we point to the how, the, the, the what happened that changed all of that. And Paul, as he's on trial, is about to share his how moment. He says, one day, I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, your majesty, he continues to show respect here, uh, as I was on the road, a light came from heaven, brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. Paul's telling his story. Did you catch that? He says, one day. I mean, I'm sure at that moment, King Agrippa, uh, he's like, well, what happened one day? Not just the before, but the how. At noon, your majesty, I see this bright light. Verse 14, it says, we all fell down and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The Apostle Paul, who we're reading about, who's giving his defense, his name has been changed because his whole life has been changed. He was formerly known as Saul, and now God shows up to Saul on the road and speaks his name to him and says, why are you persecuting me? In other words, why are you hurting me? Why are you going against me? It's useless for you to fight against my will, he says, who are you, Lord? I asked. You see, Paul didn't even know who God was at this point, even though he was so religious. He didn't know Jesus. And that could be some of us in the room right now. You've been coming to church for many years, every Sunday. You're very religious. You're very moral. You're very good. But do you know Jesus? He says, he says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. Now, he said, get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. Tell people that you've seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes. Why? so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in him. Paul shares not just the before, but he shares the how. Here is what happened. Jesus showed up. He got my attention. He called my name. And he said, why are you going against me? This is pointless. You're never going to overcome my will for your life. And then, and then Jesus tells him, and here's what I want you to do with your life, Saul. Most of us know, I mean, Saul went from being a horrible, persecuting, killing Christians person 
to one of the most powerful spokesmen for Jesus and the gospel that ever walked the face of this earth. And Jesus gives him a new purpose, a new mission. That's how Paul's life was changed. He had an encounter with Jesus. I wonder, what's your how story? I told you, I was, I was a skater. I was just try, looking for love. I was just trying to find meaning and purpose. And when I was 17, and I actually had grown up going to church, and, but when I was 17 and I hadn't been going to church for several years, uh, a friend of mine invited me to his church. I started going to this little Baptist church, this youth group. Some of you know a little bit of my story. And, uh, and uh, I just started feeling love and cared for. And I saw genuine, like, community, people that loved one another. And I, and I met people that talked about God, talked about God like they really knew him. And then one day, uh, my friend Matt asked me a question that changed my life. He said, Todd, are you saved? And I realized in that moment, I was religious. I believed in God. But I did not know Jesus. And I went home from youth group that night, and I kneeled down by my bed, and I called out to Jesus, and I said, please save me. I know that I'm not going to get to heaven by just being good or moral or just by believing in a God. I'm only going to make it to heaven because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross. He died, he paid for all my sins, all my mess-ups, all my mistakes, and he rose from the grave so that everybody that puts their faith and hope in him can have everlasting, eternal life. And I called out to Jesus, and that is how I began a relationship with Jesus. Paul just shared how he came into a relationship with Jesus. I wonder, what's your how story? There's a before, there's an after, and then there's the how in the middle. So what is Paul's after story? What's my after story? What's your after story? Because in any good story, there's kind of like this climactic moment where something big happens, but then there has to be like a resolve, a, a what's next, a what's the ending, or how does this go forward, right? And so Paul, as he's there on trial, and I mean... He's just sharing his life story because, honestly, that's what he was on trial for, <laughs> for living his life, for, for, for believing what he believed in his religion all those years and then discovering that Jesus was the, actually the answer of all of that religion, leading him into a relationship. And so how does Paul share his after story? It says, and so, King Agrippa, I obeyed. I obeyed. I obeyed that vision from heaven. He says, and, and I preached first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and also to the Gentiles. And what did he preach? That, that all, Jews and Gentiles, all of us in this room, that all of us must repent of our sins and turn to God and prove that we've changed by the good things that we do. This is so interesting. Don't read this and say, oh, so, so you do have to do certain things to get into heaven. No, he's saying the proof of God's grace working in our life and that we've repented and, and, and turned away from sin and turned to God, the proof is the good things that we begin to do. The, the, the life change that happens, the, the after story shows that our faith 
is real. And that's what happened in Paul's life. He says, some Jews, they arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. Look at this. But God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone. You see, there's a purpose to God's protection. It's not, God's protection, it's not just to keep us comfy or safe. God's protection of our our lives is for the purpose of using our lives. For us to to serve others in in love and in the name of Jesus and, and for us to share our stories with other people because there's power in a story. There is power. You guys, listen. Whatever your story is, there is power in it. If, if the God of the universe has intersected your life, then your story, no matter what that story is, it is powerful, and it needs to be shared. It could change someone else's life. So what's your after story? You know, for me, uh, I, I accepted Jesus that night at my bedside, and the next day I woke up, and it, it just felt like for the first time in my life, I knew who I was, and I had... I knew I was loved. And not just by other people, by, by God himself. God loved me. I mean, I knew God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I just didn't know that God loved me, that I was included in that world. I, just, I, I had never experienced that love until that moment. And it started to change my life. And, I, and all of a sudden, I cared about what God thought about things. And I wanted to learn and understand more. That's part of my after story. And this youth pastor, this is why we believe in orange, okay? It's other people building into the lives of young people because it radically changed my life. In fact, I would dare say, if it had not been for somebody investing in me, even if I would have asked Jesus to be my Savior... I would not be here today doing what I'm doing. I'm here because I wanted to do for someone what someone did for me. That's my after story. That's why I'm a pastor. That's why I'm at the chapel. To help somebody take one step closer to God and each other through Jesus Christ. It's the story of all stories, you guys. So what's your after story? How has God given you a new purpose in your life? How has God rearranged your priorities? Because that starts to happen. It, it's a process, and man, we, don't, we certainly don't get it all right, do we? And we're still in process. That's one of our values here at the chapel, to be authentic, that we're real people in process still. What victories do you now have over previous struggles? Because that is part of the proof that our faith has become real. It's not perfection, but it means that we're starting to get, gain victories and overcome some of the things that we used to wrestle with and struggle with. Uh, what joy and peace has flooded your once dry spirit? Uh, how has the certainty of eternal life changed how you go at life? Uh, what deep inner need is being met now through Christ that you tried to get met through someone else or something else? How, how has your need for friendship been fulfilled 
in Jesus. This doesn't mean that you don't still need friends. It just means that you aren't ultimately dependent just upon other people because at the end of the day, no matter what, though my mother, father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Like we, we have Jesus and we have enough in him. What was it like needing to control before Jesus, but then letting Jesus lead you? And again, this is all a process in our lives, but this ought to be part of your and my after story. And in what ways do you want God to continue to work in your life? I'm asking that question right now. Lord, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to know? How do you want to shape my life through what we're going through now? I don't understand it. But I know God somewhere has a purpose for it. It's been written into my story. And he's writing things into your story. Some of it's awesome. Some of it's so thrilling. Some of it's so exciting. Some of it is so hard. Some of it is so heavy. Some of it is so trying. But it is, you guys, isn't that a story? (laughs) And, and God is writing a story. He wants to write a story in your life and my life. So let me leave you with two storytelling principles. Number one, be ready for rejection or even ridicule. As, as, as Paul is before King Agrippa and before Festus, it says, suddenly Festus shouted, Paul, you're insane. Too much study has made you crazy. This is every college student's uh, life verse right now, right? Uh, He's like, you're crazy. And listen, some, listen, not everybody's going to accept or listen to your whole story. Or some people are going to hear your story and they'll be like, dude, that's crazy. But that's where you just say, yep, it is. <laughs> and then the other, the other response, Agrippa, um, there, there's like a little bit of interest, I think. And I don't know if he was saying this out of sarcasm or if he was saying it like legitimately. He says, uh, Paul, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Again, I don't know if he's being sarcastic. I don't know if there is, maybe there is genuine interest, and he's just saying, whoa, 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 dude. I'm not going to believe this just like, I mean, in one conversation. And we shouldn't think that either. We need to be in it for the long haul with one another and with people. But that leads me to a second and final storytelling principle Remember that nobody is beyond God's reach. Agrippa's like, Paul, you think you can persuade me so quickly? And I love Paul's response here in verse 29. He says, whether quickly or not, what was he saying? I'm in it for the long haul. He said, I pray. Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience, and let me say this to you, I pray, quickly or not, to God that all of us here in this audience might become the same as I am, Paul said, except for these chains. What was Paul saying? Hey, quickly or not, whether it takes three weeks in a row or whether it takes three years or whether it takes 30 years, we are in it with people to share the story 
of life change that comes through Jesus. He says, and I'm praying, I'm praying for everybody that they'll become just like I am. What was Paul saying? That they'll become just like I am, changed, a changed person. Except for these chains. I don't want you to be in jail. <laughs> I want you to discover the freedom that's only found in Jesus Christ. It was Paul's before, how, and after story. If you're here this weekend and, and you're unsure, I want, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to pray this prayer right now. It's from John Stott's Basic Christianity. He says to pray this way, God, if you exist, and I don't know if you do, and if you can hear these, this prayer, and I don't know if you can, I want to tell you that I am an honest seeker after the truth. Show me if Jesus is the Son and the Savior of the world. And if you bring conviction to my mind, I will trust him as my Savior and follow him as my Lord. Would you pray with me? Jesus, for anyone here that's unsure, they're, they're in the before part of their story. Or maybe they're being confronted with the how you want to change their life right now. Give them courage to seek you, to open their life to you, to pray to you. And God, we will trust you to grab a hold of their life in all your love and grace. To that end, we pray and we continue to share our stories. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, that's the before, how, and after. And I want to tell you, on November, don't leave yet, November 19th, November 19th, you are going to get to hear some incredible before, how, and after stories. We're going to have a baptism service right here at the Port Clinton campus. And if you want to find out more, if you're a high school student through adulthood um, that wants to find out more about baptism right here up front, just for a couple minutes, I'd love to see you and share a little bit about what baptism looks like here at the chapel. All right? You guys have an awesome rest of your weekend. Thanks for hanging with us.